Welcome to Live Greater, a health and wellness podcast brought to you by the University of Maryland Medical System. We put knowledge and care within reach so you have everything you need to live your life to the fullest. This episode is sponsored by UM Upper Chesapeake Health. Through an unparalleled combination of high-quality care and leading-edge technology, UM Upper Chesapeake is improving the health of Northeastern Maryland residents by providing an exceptional patient experience for every person, every encounter, every day. In this episode, we're talking about sacroiliac joint dysfunction. What is it? How is it diagnosed? And how is it treated with Dr. Hugo Benalcazar? a neurosurgeon at Upper Chesapeake Medical Center, part of the University of Maryland Medical System. I'm Bill Klaproth. Dr. Ben Alcazar, thank you so much for your time. So first off, what is the sacroiliac joint and where is it located? The sacroiliac joint is a foundational joint that is the meeting place of the pelvis and the spine. When I say foundational, I mean like a foundation of a building or any other structure. It's where we're anchored. The joint itself is made up of two words, which is sacro and iliac, and that represents the sacro is the lowest part of the spine, and that is connected to the iliac bones, one on each side, which makes the sort of pelvic bowl that you may be familiar with when looking at a skeleton. So many of us with back pain are very interested in this. So then what is sacroiliac joint dysfunction? We use the word dysfunction because... No one is exactly sure what is going on, but we know that it has to do with this joint and it has to do with structural stabilization of the joint. And so the dysfunction occurs, we think, when some type of destabilization occurs to the joint. There is sort of accidental or traumatic destabilization that can occur, and that's from a fall or from a hit of some sort. That could be a car accident. It could be simple falling where you strike your hip or your lower back or your buttocks. But then there's also a micro destabilization that occurs, for example, during childbirth when this pelvic bowl, like I described it earlier, this is the area of the birth canal. And so I think through evolution, these joints are there as opposed to having a solid bony bowl. These joints are there to allow expansion during that critical time. Because we all have the same blueprint, those joints in men and in women can become loose, like I said, from in a number of different ways. The loosening of these joints can then spark the surrounding muscles typically the gluteal muscles, which are the buttocks, and the lower back muscles. And these just so happen to be the largest muscles in our bodies to then become activated and almost spasm or cramp to hold the pelvis together. And this, of course, generates pain. So you said earlier, sacroiliac joint dysfunction affects the lowest part of the spine. Do we know what causes this dysfunction? Is it weight? I know you were talking about pregnancy earlier. Is it heavy lifting? What are some of the more typical causes of this dysfunction or problem, if you will? Typically, it is some type of trauma. And that could be a blunt force trauma, like I said, with falling or some type of hitting But as you mentioned, heavy lifting, squatting with heavy weight can also cause these issues. Sometimes even overstretching 
There are folks with soft tissue connective disorders where their joints are very flexible and, in fact, maybe even too flexible, and that could lead to weakness of certain joints. And this is one of those joints. And so if they're doing stretching or something that a person without that soft tissue weakness or connective tissue weakness might suffer no trauma, these people might suffer a trauma and all of a sudden be debilitated with pain because they have, quote-unquote, sprained their sacroiliac joint. So then what are the symptoms? The symptoms are very common. I'm sure anyone listening to this is going to be sort of nodding their head when they hear this. But it's lower back pain that typically either goes across the lower back, which I would define as sort of where the lower back meets the buttocks. So it would be either the lower part of the back or the upper part of the buttocks. And it could be either across that, both sides, or it could be primarily one side. And then it is very common that the pain travels down the leg, typically the back of the leg, to the knee primarily. But it can also travel beyond the knee, and that typically causes confusion between a sciatica-type problem and a sacroiliac joint problem. And the two are very different, and of course, the way to diagnose the two is also very different. So then how do you diagnose the difference between if it is sciatica or the sacroiliac joint? There are many different ways to sort of creep up on the answer. And of course, the usual history of how did this happen? When did it happen, et cetera? Physical examination, where we press on certain muscles, ask folks to lift their legs in different ways, press on the hip bones perhaps, and then actually press on the sacroiliac joint from behind with your thumb. Having different pain or different responses in these different areas gives us a clue as to whether we may be looking at a spine problem or a disc problem or what is commonly referred to as a sciatica problem, nerve problem, versus whether or not we're looking at a pelvic joint problem, which would be the sacroiliac joint in this case. In the end, the gold standard for diagnosis of the sacroiliac joint dysfunction is going to be a trial set of two injections into the sacroiliac joint itself. And this is an injection not of steroid or cortisone, as many people are used to hearing about injections, but an injection of a long-lasting local anesthetic like Novocaine or, in this case, Bupivacaine. The idea is that if we inject the joint that we think is the cause of the pain, and numb the pain receptors in that joint. And then the patient comes back and says, wow, after that injection, I had 50, 75, 90% relief of my pain, even if it's for a short period of time, then we consider that a positive test. And we repeat that one more time just to make sure that we didn't have any spurious results. The Diagnosis of sciatica or discogenic pain is much different, and the gold standard in that case is typically the MRI. Interestingly, the MRI is really fairly useless, as is the x-ray and the CAT scan in the diagnosis of the sacroiliac joint dysfunction. So if you get the MRI back and it looks good, but the person still has back pain, does that then lead you to a sacroiliac joint dysfunction diagnosis? If you get a negative MRI where the MRI, the, the discs, the nerves, the vertebrae all look really, really good, but this patient is very insistent that they're having 
these types of symptoms that mimic back pain, mimic nerve pain down the leg, it does help us kind of refocus towards the sacroiliac joint, assuming some of these other things line up as well. Got it. So then can rest and or OTC medications ease the symptoms? By far and away, ibuprofen, Aleve, things like that are going to be used by most people successfully. Most folks who have these symptoms never even see a doctor. I don't even see them because they get better on their own with what we just talked about. The next step after that, typically when they come into the office, is I will recommend a sacroiliac joint belt as well as the diagnostic injections to make sure that we're not barking up the wrong tree. And at that point, if we get a diagnosis, we can start to look at physical therapy with specific exercises to strengthen the musculature and strengthen the joint. We also use forms of bracing. And then ultimately, if there is no improvement, then the patient could become a surgical candidate. And if surgery is needed, what is the procedure then? So once we've decided, uh, along with the patient, that surgery is the way that we think this should be treated, the surgery in my hands is done via a small, roughly two-inch incision near the back area, in the lower back area to the side, and two hollow threaded titanium alloy dowels filled with bone putty are then passed across the joint through this little two-inch incision. And in that way, they stabilize the joint. And the musculature that's been causing all the pain, because it's been trying to stabilize the joint, hopefully can then relax and decrease pain and increase stability. And the patient typically goes home the same day without a hospital stay, full weight bearing. We ask them you know, not to jump off of anything, not to lifting weights over their heads or anything like that. But really, most folks have, I would say, a 75 to 85% recovery within about a week. Wow. So patients typically go home the same day. That's amazing. So then what is the post-surgery rehab that you recommend? Typically, folks are not requiring post-operative physical therapy like they would, let's say, with a knee or with a hip replacement. Instead, folks are typically able to weight bear and gradually increase their activity level over the next several weeks with, like I said, most of the recovery occurring in about a week. That is really good news with most of the recovery occurring in about a week. That is amazing. So for then for someone listening who says, I don't want to go through this, I'm wondering if there's a way that I can change my lifestyle to protect my sacroiliac and help prevent sacroiliac joint dysfunction? Well, I think some of it is going to be genetics, such as in the cases of the connective tissue weaknesses. So that's going to be a little bit difficult to do. But even in those cases, I think the avoidance of trauma is really paramount. So slipping on the ice, lifting things that are too heavy, I think all of that is really important. Of course, these are things that we try to avoid every day anyway. But along those lines, I think another really important thing is to make sure that sacroiliac joint dysfunction is included in your doctor's differential diagnosis. So when someone comes in with back pain and leg pain, the SI joint dysfunction, I think, needs to be 
included in the ideas that the doctor has as to what could be the cause of your back pain and leg pain. Well, that seems to make sense. If you're suffering from back pain, to make sure that sacroiliac joint dysfunction is included in your doctor's differential diagnosis. And then, Dr. Ben Alcazar, if I could ask you a few other questions. This is very interesting what we're talking about today. Could you share with us a little bit of your background in schooling on becoming a neurosurgeon? Well, I was trained in neurosurgery at Northwestern University in Chicago. And neurosurgery at that time, and it is even more so now, is heavily spine-oriented, along with, of course, peripheral nerves such as carpal tunnel and also brain surgery that involves everything from tumors to aneurysms. And then how did you become interested in treating sacroiliac joint dysfunction? I think the entire field of spinal surgery has become more and more interested in sacroiliac joint dysfunction, primarily because as one fixes or stabilizes the spine, when someone comes in with a MRI that shows a disc that's a problem or a vertebrae that are not aligned up or scoliosis or any of these problems, and then we fix them. And the patient says, gee, thank you very much. My original pain went away, but now I have this other low back pain with pain going down my leg. And, and you know, we scratch our heads and we look at our work and we see that everything looks really well-placed and the MRI doesn't show that any nerve has been compressed or still being compressed. And everything looks really great, but we have a patient who's still complaining of back pain and leg pain. And so the sort of reemergence of sacroiliac joint dysfunction as the cause, as a possible cause of that pain has really been a godsend to many patients because once treated, again, in most cases, folks have amazing amount of improvement. So you certainly have seen it all. What are some of the misconceptions out there when it comes to back pain? I think out in the popular media, movies, reality shows, etc., anytime anybody has any leg pain or back pain, I think the common thought is that there should be some type of a disc herniation or a slip disc along with a pinched nerve and what does my MRI show, et cetera. Oftentimes, this is actually the case. However, when it's not the case, then there could be a lot of confusion. And so it's my job and the job of many in our department to try to explain to the patient that there could be a different cause for this thing that really has very little to do with direct nerve compression or slip discs. And again, it's often very eye-opening for the patient. And if we consider the diagnosis, then the other nice thing is that we actually have a way to prove the diagnosis, and that is with the injections. Because if those injections, they don't affect the rest of the body. They're really just in that joint. And so we're saying to ourselves, well, I think that you're having pain because this joint isn't working correctly and it's causing pain and it's sending off pain signals. So what can we do about that? Because it sounds like a real good idea, but many great ideas have been proven not to be so great. So in a case like this, though, thank goodness, we're able to inject that one particular joint. And if a patient certainly comes back with 80, 90% relief of the pain, it'll wear off and the pain will come back. But at least now we have a diagnosis. And so there really is, I think, 
good reason to think that taking care of that joint, either through non-surgical means or through the surgical means that I explained earlier, we should expect folks to get much better. And knowing that there is such a success in treating sacroiliac joint dysfunction, it seems like maybe that would be better to have than have your typical degenerative disc disease in your back and spine. Absolutely. I think that's a great way to say it. And I think I'm becoming a believer that if I had to have one or the other, I think I'd rather have the sacroiliac joint dysfunction. So there is hope for people suffering from back pain who get a normal MRI back. Hey, it could be your sacroiliac joint and you could have sacroiliac joint dysfunction. Well, this has really been informative and insightful. Dr. Benalcazar, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. That's Dr. Hugo Benalcazar. And for more information, please visit umms.org slash podcast. And thank you for listening to Live Greater, a health and wellness podcast brought to you by the University of Maryland Medical System. And we look forward to you joining us again.